Welcome to the Seven Skills for the Future podcast series. I'm Emma Sue Prince, author of Seven Skills for the Future, and this podcast is all about developing skills that you already have inside you. They are adaptability, critical thinking, empathy, integrity, being proactive, being optimistic, and resilience. And today I'm interviewing Sarah Mercer, and Sarah is a professor at the University of Graz, Austria, where she focuses on language learning and teacher well-being. And I'm really keen to talk to her about her take on these seven skills. So I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Mercer to our podcast today. I first met Sarah at a conference for business English teaching last November in Malta, and um, I really connected with her talk about socio-emotional competencies as 21st century skills, life skills, um, and the role that emotional intelligence plays in that. So for me... Um, there was a strong link with some, possibly all of the seven skills, but I'm particularly interested in Sarah's views on self-awareness, the role of mindfulness, empathy, and understanding about our strengths. So welcome, Sarah. First of all, can you explain a little bit more about your work and your research and what you do for us? Hi, it's very nice to be here. Thank you very much for asking me to join you. Um, yeah, I work as a, a researcher in the field of ELT methodology. So I work at the University of Graz in Austria. Um, my research started originally looking at the psychology of language learners. So looking at what their needs were, their motivations, their self-concept, the kind of beliefs that they had, particularly growth mindsets were of interest to me. And then over time, as I started to understand that basically teaching is a relationship, it's between mm. two people and there are two sides to that relationship, I started to become more interested in the teacher side of things, which, which is generally under-researched in comparison to, to the research that's been done on learners. And I started becoming interested in their well-being and what helps them mm. flourish in their jobs and how they function best and their well-being, um, their motivations, their sense of self, their beliefs, those kinds of things. So mm -hmm. that's what took me into this area of looking at social-emotional competences, not only for their ability to teach well and to understand their learners and their relationships with others, but uh, also as a, a, a source of uh, support for their own well-being mm. to help them function to the best of their abilities in their jobs. So it's not just... Uh for teachers, I mean, this applies to anybody. Um, and self-awareness is, is a big component of building skills like resilience and adaptability and empathy. Um, and you can't have any behavior change without that. So what what would you tell us about self-awareness? Yeah, I agree very strongly with you. I think it's a, it's a foundation of empowering you to take some control of, of the, the things that happen to you in life and how you, where you're going and how you deal with these things. So I think you need a degree of self-awareness to understand your emotional triggers, how you respond to things, um, your habits, your mm. goals, um, what it is that you feel you need, um, what your preferences are. Um, and I think that sort of under self-awareness is the basis of many other skills and competences that, that you talk about but that are generally mm. needed to be able to function well in, in our professional and our personal lives. So I think mm, self-awareness mm. for me is a foundation. And I think but we do have to be careful that it doesn't become sort of indulgent navel-gazing, mm, which mm. is not constructive. It's more about uh, having this awareness of oneself and starting to use that in a way to empower yourself to take more control and give more direction to your life. Yes, yes, exactly. And um, I know um, in, in your talk, you mentioned uh, being able to ask oneself questions like, you know, what, what, 
triggers stress for me? What brings me joy in my work? Um, you know, how do I deal with things that are difficult for me? And um, of course, that's quite a reflective process. And being able to ask yourself those types of questions, in a way, you know, we rush around all day long from from thing to thing. Um, to what extent do you think people can actually bring more of that kind of reflection into their day-to-day lives? Um, I think it's quite difficult to do because we get caught up in, in, we're just sort of on this treadmill, aren't we, that we're pushing, you know, from one thing yeah. to the next, doing the next thing and concentrating on that. And there's not much time for reflection and taking stock. But very often there are challenges we encounter or certain events that trigger a process of reflection. Um, and that's it's a response to that and being able to sort of take stock. But I think learning to take a little bit more time to say, I think it's a sort of general awareness that, you know, my life and is something that I can proactively to some degree engender, that I'm not just reactive to what happens around me, but that there's things that mm. I can do to proactively direct and guide the way that my the way that things develop for me and the way I move towards my goals. I know that you 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 also mentioned that if if you can work and build on your own strengths, that that can, you know, that that can help with building that awareness, um, and some of the strengths that I noticed you 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 writing about were uh, things like perseverance and kindness and creativity. Um, can you give some more examples of those kinds of strengths and how we you know how do we find out what those are for ourselves personally? Yeah, so there's a, a view. So my work's been very heavily influenced by the positive psychology movement. So positive psychology basically arose um, in the field of psychology as a kind of response to the fact that psychology was very much dominated by a de- deficit view of mm, looking at mm. what was wrong with people and how to remedy that, what kind of disorders there are and how to remedy that. And a group of researchers came to the conclusion that actually to understand life, we need to know what works well. How do people flourish? What's, what are people's strengths? Um, mm-hmm. What contributes a good life? And that if we want to have a balanced view of people's psychology, we need to not only look at what's going wrong and how to remedy, but what's going right and how can we further build on that and strengthen that. And that's where a lot of this research on looking at people's strengths came from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something called the VIA character strengths, the, the values in action character strengths inventory that was designed, I think it's by Seligman and Peterson. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can go online. If you Google VIA, people will find it quite easily. And you can do that. You can do the questionnaire. They do a survey there and they tell you what your strengths are. Um, and it helps you to identify through a series of questions where your strengths lie. And it's things like perseverance, humility, humor, love of learning, kindness, mm. all those kinds of things. And these have been found supposedly to be universal across cultures. And when you do this survey, it helps you to identify those that are core to who you are, that are very central to the kind of person that you are, and those which are more peripheral. Mm. And it's not to say that you're fixed in these categories and you can't develop other skills or you can't develop other strengths, but knowing what your strengths are, you can build on those. You can find ways to integrate them in your life. And, you know, it helps you to become um, stronger when you're focusing on the things that you're good at. So not Mm. always just looking at what your weaknesses are and how to improve that. I mean, that's something that we do generally, but also saying, you know, what am I good at? What are my strengths? What do I enjoy doing? Mm. Um, What is something that I can really contribute and bring into this and finding ways to build that in can be very positive for our well-being. Mm -hmm. Um, What support do you think teachers get to to do that kind of work on themselves? I mean, I, I can't imagine that they you know, that, that, that that's necessarily part of their professional development, for example. 
I wish desperately that it was. Um, I feel very strongly that um, policymakers, uh, institutions, society in general has grossly misunderestimated, mm. mis uh, misjudged just how much support teachers need. Um, it's a caring profession. So teachers are used to being oriented to other people, to their learners. Yes. And that's, that's nice and that will always be the case. But when you understand that it's part of two relationships, if teachers are not in the right place psychologically, if they've not got that kind of inner strength, support and well-being, they are mm. not going to be able to teach to the best of the abilities. Mm. Um, I took a, a long, hard look at very many um, professional development programs and was bitterly disappointed to discover that virtually all of them focused almost exclusively mm. on what the teacher can do for mm. the learner. Mm. You know, while that remains extremely important, um, what about the teacher themselves? What about spending some time making sure that the teacher is in the best place they can possibly be in order yes. to teach? Um, I think that's, for me, that's something I feel very, very strongly about, that that's something that is under-researched, underdeveloped, and it does not get any sort of talk time yes. generally. Yes, um, and teaching is a very stressful profession. I mean, there's a lot of joys in the profession, a lot of things that we get a lot of strength and pleasure out of. Mm. It is a stressful pr profession, and, and there is a need for teachers to be given space and time and uh, institutional support to uh, to work on their well-being, not as a luxury, but as a foundation yes, for good teaching. Yes, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, teachers are, are are burning out and they're getting stressed, and I think this the whole issue around stress goes a lot goes across a lot of different professions as well. Um, I want to ask you about mindfulness because mindfulness is a big buzz term at the moment, um, although it's been around for a, a very long time. Because um, we use mindfulness exercises in our workshops, and it never ceases to amaze me how impactful people find it. So people, you know, all different kinds of people from from young people from people who've been unemployed, uh, corporate lawyers, I mean, really diverse, different, uh, diverse groups of people. When we do mindfulness with them, they, it, it's almost like a sort of a relief for them. Can you say more about the power of mindfulness? Um, well, I, I have to admit, I'm no expert on this, but I'm, I'm well aware of the research uh, that, that, that says how powerful this can be. I mean, I know that there's sort of mixed views on this, but I think it goes a little bit back to what you were saying earlier when we were talking about self-awareness, um, that mindfulness is, um, for me, it's got a few components. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not talking about any of the sort of um, the, the religious connotations mm -hmm. from, that go with it, but more the sense of being able to be fully in the mm -hmm. present, um, not, in a, in, in, not in an evaluative way, not in a judgmental way, just be, being aware and taking time to be in the present, whether that's enjoying a meal and your food and being very conscious of it in a conversation with somebody just enjoying and being fully in the conversation i think i think digital technologies have a have, have played a big role in making mindfulness in the present very difficult for people to do but i think learning to to utilize that time to quieten your mind to give yourself chance to focus on the here and now and to be accepting of ourselves and our emotions and how we're experiencing things and to savor um mm. experiences i think that can be incredibly powerful um, mm. long term mm. and, it, and it also encourages self-reflection doesn't it so it can help help with awareness building and so on um there's also a lot of research on the power of um 
gratitude and and the links of of gratitude to optimism and how just writing down a few things a day of you know what you're thankful for can really help um what can you tell us about that um, I think of all the, you know, of all the interventions in the positive psychology literature, there's various interventions that have been researched. The one on gratitude is the one with the strongest body of research that, that, to show its effectiveness as an intervention. Mm. Um, from on a very personal note, um, I developed the habit of of every day before I go to sleep taking note of the things that I'm grateful for, mm. and I found it personally extremely effective in helping me to take stock in a positive way to also to learn as a habit to start looking for the positive things that are happening in your mm. life every day. You know, there is a tendency sometimes to focus on the negative, to focus on the things that are going wrong. Um, and it's nice to very consciously stop yourself and stop and say, this is something I'm very grateful for. This is something that went mm. well today. And these are people, conversations, experiences that I'm grateful that I had. Um, and I think gratitude can be very powerful, not only in enhancing your well-being and your positive positivity of the moment but also helping to train you to see the positives mm. in experiences and day-to-day interactions um, or it becomes a habit fundamentally yes yes, yes. I, I I'm the same I I write down what I'm grateful for every morning um and then again in the evening looking back on the day um and it, and yeah you're right it, it does make a, a difference um I think do, do you think perhaps we are a bit biased towards uh, or do you think our brains perhaps could be a bit biased towards looking for the negative things yeah i think there is a negativity bias inbuilt negativity bias but it, it certainly can be overcome but very consciously by looking for, for, for mm. the positives like i say if you make something like gratitude or silver linings uh, activity if you make these kinds of things a habit mm. you, you automatically start to see positives more and again this notion of mindfulness if you become more mindful mm. of your experiences the things around you that you see your senses that you learn to focus on the beauty of things that you see, the beauty of other people, conversations, um, experiences. I think that that positivity can become a habit. You can mm. <laughs> you can develop more of a positivity bias. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and the, and the, you know these are these are two very simple things that actually anybody could start doing: being more present and um, cultivating you know an attitude of being grateful. Um, Empathy. I know you've written about different kinds of tasks and activities that we can either undertake ourselves or or teach others. Um, so I wanted to, t- to ask you about that and whether to what extent you believe we can actually teach empathy to other people. Yeah, very much so. I think uh, there's a lot of research literature in the social emotional learning category, the cell category that shows that you can develop these competences in others, that they're not fixed character traits, but these are things that can be developed that you can improve your skills in um, to a Mm. certain degree. Um, I think um, in today's current global climate, skills such as empathy, tolerance, open-mindedness, understanding of others, I think these are key competences that we want to develop in ourselves but also very much in our learners and I think there's a Mm. almost a moral obligation to be developing these skills and uh, I think many uh, curricula across the globe that are looking at 21st century skills also incorporate some of these skills Um, and I think they're very important um, to because we we function in communities we are fundamentally Mm. social beings and developing these skills are important for getting on with others being successful in our our environments whether that's personally and professionally and uh, 
I think on a on a sort of global scale, I think developing skills of empathy are, mm. are hugely important to to, mm. to foster cooperation and tolerance. Mm. And um, I do have just one last question because you've made me think of something else. But um, language teachers, because you know English language teaching, um, to what extent do you think? English language teachers can start to bring in the teaching of these kinds of skills into their language classrooms. So things like mindfulness and being present, uh, well-being. Um, do you think it's possible to combine that with English language teaching? Absolutely. Um, in fact, I've been writing with two colleagues of mine, Tammy Gregerson and Peter McIntyre. We've been writing about something that we call positive language education. Mm -hmm. And by this, we mean that um, you can integrate the teaching of linguistic competences along with the teaching of, if you want to call them life skills, well-being competences, that the two can be taught at the same time in an integrated way. Um, there's, if we look at what's being done, for example, in CLIL or EMI classrooms, there's a lot about teaching, for example, in CLIL that you have double learning objectives. Yes. And language is... Language teaching is ideally suited, particularly with the emphasis on communicative language classrooms, that it's ideally suited to looking at bringing in other skills that you can teach at the same time. So I feel very strongly that um, we can, as language teachers, we have the perfect opportunity to find ways to foster mm. growth mindset, um, empathy, critical thinking skills. Um, a sense of resilience. Mm. These are skills that can be taught and they can be taught through language mm. and mm. combining both in a sustainable way, um, I believe is, is manageable, is something that we can and should be doing. Oh, so perhaps this new research will be the subject of your next talk. <laughs> I very much hope yeah. so. Um, uh, we're, we're, I, I feel strongly that there's great potential in this, yeah. um, but we have to now find ways of developing teacher training to do this, yes. looking at ways that sustainable um, but I think there is a, a lot of potential that when we teach these skills of optimism empathy growth mindsets and so on these skills actually help them to be better learners as well mm. not only does it equip them with skills for life it equips them with skills that helps them to to, to, to function well in school mm. so it's a win-win really yeah Sarah thank you so much for your for your time today and for this interview it's been a pleasure talking to you and I'm really excited to hear about some of the things that you're researching and, and looking forward to seeing what what you do next thank you so much it was very nice to talk to you and thank you so much for asking me to join you Thank you so much, Sarah, for coming onto the show. It's been great having you with us. If you'd like to know more about Sarah's work, you can go to her website, which is sarah.mercer.weebly.com. And if you'd like to know more about the seven skills, you can check out unimenta.com, where you'll find lots of extra tips and resources to help you strengthen those skills. And of course, the book, Seven Skills for the Future, available in all major bookstores and online. Thank you for listening and see you next time.